And we're live, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I have a very special guest with me. This is Brandon from Car Questions Answered. Uh, if you haven't seen his YouTube channel before, he covers uh, really a, a very not well understood part of the auto business, uh, which is predominantly around uh, car auctions, the used car market, the overall car market. And he's somebody that I've, uh, you know, just uh, I've been watching his videos and we were on the uh, Car Edge. I was watching the Car Edge Unplugged video and Brandon was on there. They were having a really awesome discussion. And I was in the comments. I'm like, yo, if you want to come on, let me know how I can get in touch. He's like, send me an email. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And so yeah, Brandon, always, literally always. the next day he's here. So thank you so much for coming, man. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for letting me come on. So since I've started doing YouTube, I mean, like just communicating and talking to a lot of other people that are on YouTube and just being able to talk to a lot of the, the fans that we have. This is my favorite thing to do on YouTube. I mean, you know, making the videos, it's, it's hard work. This this is just fun. This is what this is what I enjoy being able to to talk to everybody and just to kind of kind of just joke around. And this is uh, hopefully you don't want to take it too seriously because I do not. I do not. want to take it. <laughs> I don't know why you've been inviting me on. I, I don't know anything about EVs, but uh, I can uh, I can make up some stuff along the way. So that's what probably you're going to hear right now. <laughs> well, thank you so much. No, I, I really what what I find fascinating about your your experience is that you know as I've been studying the the auto market broadly. So you know, uh, for folks that might be watching my channel that predominantly watch yours, just to give you guys a heads up, uh, I I come from the EV side. So I worked at Tesla over four years. I had been invested in the name for over ten years, and it's just something that I've really been interested in. But I've always been a car guy. I've always loved cars. I grew up playing Gran Turismo as a kid, and I'm still playing Gran Turismo to this day uh you know one of my i want to get a freaking porsche 911 in my freaking garage one of these days and hopefully drive that sucker around you know i had a, a mazda 6 stick for the longest time i'd love the Saab 93 i've had that car before so it's like i just i just love cars you know um and um one of the things that i'm really interested in is the transition that seems to be happening in, in the in the auto market right now as where there's more and more EVs coming in. But what's really fascinating about about your experience and what you do is that you're so well uh, well um, plugged into the auto market. Uh, you see everything, and and your channel does such a great job of covering not just market dynamics, but what's happening in in the uh, you know from a used car perspective and at car auctions. You have a really good pulse. On, on the car market. So maybe tell us a little bit about your background, what got you onto YouTube and just anything that maybe uh, the audience can learn about you and what you do. Yeah. So, um, I've been a car deal. I've been dealing cars now for uh, 11, probably going on close to 12 years. Not sure exactly. Me and my wife tried to pin it down and we really couldn't, uh, but it's probably right around the 12 year mark. I've been dealing cars. I started, uh, buying and selling with my grandfather. He had a car lot and, uh, he let me, go to auctions with him. I saved up a little bit of money, started buying cars and selling them, flipping them. Um, and uh, I was going to college at the time and dropped out just because I fell in love with the, the auction atmosphere and uh, being able to just instantly turn money just by buying cars and selling them. Um, and just going throughout the years, building my business up, uh, lots of team members along the way. Uh, we've uh, moved lots uh, one time and uh, gone to a bigger location. And uh, now we got to a place where we've we've kind of enjoyed the growth that we've had, but we don't really want to grow uh, very much more as far as our car lot's concerned. Um, so wanted to find something new and I wanted to be able to help people in another way. So 
Um, I had a buddy that I play a lot of disc golf with, and we were talking about the car market one day, and he was like, you know what? We we need to put this on a podcast. People need to hear this kind of stuff. So he got me kind of uh, hooked on to YouTube, and um, I put a couple videos on there, and it just kind of exploded out of nowhere. And uh, um, we've been, I think, very fortunate the time period that we started doing our videos um, to where people were actually wanting to know this information. Um, and you know, the, the car market has been just absolutely ridiculous in the last, in the last two, three years. So, and people are just so tired of what dealers have done, what manufacturers have done. And I, I know you follow Tesla and one, one big selling point for Tesla is you don't have to deal with all the, the BS going through these dealers. You just go straight to the manufacturer and you don't have to worry about any kind of fees. You know exactly what you're getting, what you're paying for. And uh, I, I will say that I'm not uh, I'm not the biggest uh, EV fanboy. I'm not against it. I think that's where we're going. Um, but uh, just to tie it all into your your channel and what what a lot of stuff that you cover is people are just they're frustrated with um, with the way the system is. And I feel like my job on YouTube is to educate people to help them not get ripped off by mechanics, not get ripped off by car dealers, um, not to make bad decisions. And I want to be able to provide the most honest information that I can. And I'm a used car dealer. So typically what comes along with that is people are not going to believe what you say, because that's just, that's just what a, a car dealer is. They, they lie to you. They try to get all your money, but um, I'm trying to be on YouTube to show you the back end. And uh, one thing that I have made it very clear and very important to me is that yes, I am a used car dealer, but I'm not going to try to sell you my cars. I have made it a point that we are not going to give out our dealership. We're not going to um, put uh, our website on there for our dealership because I don't want to be able to, I, I don't want to give you this information on YouTube and you feel like I'm trying to sell you something. So um, in that way, not giving out our information, you, you literally can't buy a car from me from YouTube. Um, so that way you can be able to have this honest information and take it as that, as me being a car dealer, trying to give you advice and not trying to sell you something. So that's, that's the biggest thing for our YouTube channel is I'm just, I'm trying to help people navigate the car market. However I can either by showing them behind the scenes, auction videos, showing them what dealers are actually paying for cars or, uh, showing them trends of what I'm seeing at auction and, uh, just letting them know when, when you can buy and when you should wait. So that's, uh, that's the whole premise of our channel. That's awesome, man. No, I, I really appreciate that. I, I, it really shines through the fact that you don't like, that's one thing I noticed is that I, I, when, when I was sort of like watching your videos, I'm like, you know, I know he's a used car dealer, but he doesn't really have any way for me to buy his cars. And I'm like, okay, so he's legit, you know? So that's, that's one of the things I saw. So props to you. It's noticed. I think it's, and I think that's why, your, your channel has been doing so well. Uh, so Brandon has been on YouTube for about eight months and I mean, you're getting well over 100,000 views on average, it looks like on your videos. So you're, I mean, I think people are really resonating with your content because it's honest and it's good. So I really wanna give you props for doing that. I think um, one of the first questions I have for you is what, you know, so you said you started about eight months, the car market was insane. And I think all of us agree, it was just, it just made absolutely no sense. What are some of the biggest trends you've seen in the last few months? And where is your best guess for where we're going for the rest of the year? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, so um, we 
back in the fall, back in uh, the winter of last year, we started this downtrend on wholesale prices. We started this downtrend on uh, used vehicle prices. Um, and then that got interrupted by something that happens every year. And it happened this year too. And it's, it's, it's tax time is when people get their tax refunds back and they rush to buy cars. People use this a lot of times as a savings account and they wait to get their money and then they'll spend it on something big like a TV or like a car. Um, so every year, this is the time frame when dealers, they'll load up and they'll uh, they'll sell a lot of cars during this time frame. And because inventory levels, at least on the used car side, um, were so low during this time frame, we actually got this massive, massive spike, a bigger price jump than we've ever gotten before um, during during this this past tax time. Now, this tax time was not as good as uh, the the previous year's tax times. There wasn't anything special about um the money that was coming in was actually less than what we're typically seeing, but the inventory level was so low that we got the spike. And I say all that just to say we were going on a downtrend um, last year towards the end of the year, we hit this bump and now we're starting to see that downtrend continue again. Um, and it's just a element of dealers getting overexposed from tax time. And now the demands all, all dried up. There's no more free money coming up. Interest rates are high. We all know this demand is getting pushed down and the, the Fed's doing a good job of it. So what we're going to start seeing, there's not going to be any crash. I know there's a lot of uh, YouTube channels out there calling for crash or whatever, uh, crash headlines. I know um, that um, we're seeing it all over YouTube that the car market's going to crash. It's not going to crash. There's not enough inventory uh, for it to crash. But what we what I do expect to happen is just a continuous downtrend just all the way through the uh, the end of this year. So um, if you wait till next month to buy, you'll have better prices than this month. If you wait um, a month after that, you'll have better prices than you would uh, um, the, the previous month. So I just think towards the end of this year, you're going to see the best pricing of the year. Um, and I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. But this is these are the trends that I'm seeing. I don't see anything on the horizon to make used car prices spike again. Um, in the near future until we get to tax time next year. Um, and uh, even then, I think it's going to be a lesser spike than we saw this previous tax time, just because you will have more inventory in the system. There's more new cars being pumped in the system. Yes, demand is low, uh, but you're going to see uh, potentially more new cars being sold towards the end of this year than around now, just because I think these manufacturers are, they're already adding more incentives now. And uh, you're already seeing a lot of dealerships actually come off their pricing because they know that they're not going to be able to sell anything um, like they were uh, in, in recent times, just because demand is just so bad. I know I keep saying demand is bad, demand is bad, but that's what the Fed's trying to do. And they're, they're winning. Mm -hmm. So, so would you say that the, uh, uh, that by far and away the biggest reason why demand is so low is because of price. I, have you seen anything else that would that would say interest otherwise? Rates. Or is it just yeah, interest price, rates? price okay. and interest rates. Yeah, interest rates are huge because if you had interest rates um, near zero like they were, then people would still be buying the crap out of new cars uh, just because they could keep their their uh, monthly payments lower. And all that matters really to the car market is monthly payments. So if it, the price really doesn't matter. If a customer can get into a vehicle and they can afford, they think they can afford the monthly payments, um, then they're, they're going to buy the car. It's, it, it's not going to matter. And uh, it's, it's just a, it's just a, 
really just a lie that the American public believes in that if you, uh, if you can afford the monthly payment and you still have a little bit of money left over, or you're just breaking even, then you can afford it when you really can. But that's, that's how the Americans think. So. Got it. Got it. So, so then would you say that, you know, cause one of the arguments that I hear is that, well, the fed, the fed going up to 5%, uh, where they're at now. And, you know, the lenders will offer some, some, something above that, you know, it's not having nearly as big of an impact on, on monthly payments because it's just a 5% interest hike, but it sounds like, it sounds like it is right. So, so is that what you're hearing from people is like, is it really that big of a change from a monthly payment perspective? Like say, if you were to take today's prices and say they were at zero percentage points, like how big of a savings would that be to the end consumer? And, and, is that really making that big of an impact? I would love to pick your brain a little now, bit. Now, yeah, now month over month, you're not going to cause, I mean, interest rates month over month are not going to change all that much as far as what somebody's paying on an interest rate um, versus this month versus last month, even if, the, if this ticked up a little bit. But if you look at interest rates from here versus last year, I mean, on a monthly payment, that that is hundreds of dollars, right? From a difference between what, uh, like a, three or 4% interest rate on a new car versus what, seven or 8% now. I mean, that's hundreds of dollars when you're, when you're looking at a 60 to $80,000 car. And yes, there's mm. still so much money. They're, they're, they're crazy. Um, if you're going to go buy a brand new F-150 right now, it's still seventy eighty thousand dollars 80000 So um, as far as month over month, it's not going to be that big of a difference, but we just continuously see this slow trend down and, uh, and the pricing is, is, is not coming down as much as interest rates are going up. And that's uh, that's one thing to to worry about for these OEMs is because as these interest rates still stay as stubbornly high as they are and as demand goes down as low as they are, they're, they're starting to stack up vehicles. And I've heard you talk about it a lot. I mean, channel stuffing is a, is a real thing. And I think a lot of these American brands, um, while they're still showing, I mean, Ford had a good quarter. Um, last quarter. And um, a lot of it's due to fleet and a lot of it's doing uh, due to them actually getting vehicles out to their dealerships. But if you go to a Ford dealership, I don't care where you are in the country, even in Texas right now, we're seeing, I'm seeing a lot of other YouTube channels pop up where they're going to these um, Ford dealerships in, in Texas, their trucks stacked everywhere. These yeah. F-150s, it's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah, are you seeing that in the in the used lot as well, or is it just predominantly on the new lots? Like, what what are some of the weaknesses you're seeing on the used car lot? Yeah, so right now you'll start to see inventory on the used car side stack up too, and this is not just a phenomenon of like what's happening in our market right now. This happens every year. So we come out of this tax time area, and then dealers for, they're so they're so stupid. I mean these these small independent used car dealers because they go through and they sell everything on their lot during tax time. That's that's what happens. It happens every year, um, and you can you can predict it. And then they all rush to the auction right after they sell everything. There's about a two week span where money just hits really hard. And then all these dealers rush to the auction. They load up their lots again. But guess what? All the auction prices are crazy expensive during that month time when they're all rushing to buy these cars. And then all the money dries up just like that. All the tax money has gone. And now they're stuck in all these vehicles that they can't sell because there's no money in the system. Every year, it's the same way. And then prices start to drop significantly right around this time of year at the auction. And we're seeing that again this year. And it's mm. uh, it's going to continue from here. But uh, if you drive around and see a lot of these used car lots on the on the side of the road, you're going to see them there. They're stacked up right now. There's a lot, even even a lot like mine. We sell a lot of cars and all of our cars that we sell, we sell for five thousand dollars and under. 
Um, so we sold through just about everything um, two months ago, a month and a half ago, and lowered our prices. And whatever we had left, we got rid of it. And then we basically stopped buying because we know during this time period, the prices are too high at auction. So we basically stopped buying for about a month, month and a half. And now in the last month, we've started buying again because all these cars are starting to become cheaper. And we went from almost no cars and now we're up to 70 cars. And we are selling way less cars now than we were pre-tax time, even though our prices are way cheaper and the quality of our cars is actually better right now than it was pre-tax time. So people just don't have money. I, I said this uh, on uh, Rain's Axe channel yesterday. So um, my uh, we've we got quite a few cars for $2,000, $2,500. And uh, my sales manager talks to me all the time. Like every other phone call we're getting is like, hey, do you finance? Do you finance? Do you finance? And this is on a $2,000 car, a $2,500 car. Wow. People just don't have the money. They even need to finance this $2,000 car. Wow. Do you think we're in a recession right now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because that's one of the things I've been, you know, just to give you my anecdotal evidence, you know, I, I go to my barber. Uh, he's uh, he's in Round Rock. I, I live in the Austin area in, in Texas. And uh, okay. one of the things I've been hearing from him is, um, you know, I'm seeing less people come in. People, you know, when, when we're cutting hair, more and more people complaining about not being able to afford their bills. You know, uh, there's less people there. My wife and I went to the mall this past weekend. We're both like, huh, it's kind of empty in here. <laughs> it's like you would think on a Sunday, the mall yeah. would be packed, not seeing a lot of people. Are, yeah, so you're you're kind of like, would you say you're seeing signs of a, I mean, it really sounds like it, like there's a slowing down economy when when folks are asking for a loan on the on a two thousand dollar car so it, it does sound like you're seeing that from your side that there is yes interesting that you say that because me and my wife uh, passed a couple of restaurants the other night and it was uh it must it was either friday or saturday night and we were passed by and like it was empty and it was like five or six o'clock at night and we were like well that's that's weird and uh it, there's there's nobody in that restaurant and that just it, it's right on the side of a, of a major highway and it's just blew us away how empty it was and i was like was that recessionary and she was like yeah uh, probably so um yeah um we're noticing it everywhere especially i mean especially just people buying our vehicles like we sell we sell cheap cars and people are still having a hard time getting the money just just to scratch it up and it, it's going to hit when recession comes in it hits my customers the hardest and it hits them the fastest because i serve um, a portion of the economy that's on the lower end so they they always get hurt the worst and we're we're seeing it now mm, that's that's very helpful data thank you thank you for sharing that uh, have you seen this type of slowdown before? Uh, during, like, I know you've mentioned that between this uh, period versus last year or before tax time and, and now tax time, you've seen a slowdown. But have you seen this sort of like overall downturn before in your 11 years or is it is it unique to this time period? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. There. I've I've never seen it this slow before and this hard to be able to to actually sell cars. Now, I'm curious to know like in, in hindsight, you'll, you'll never know, but I, I would be curious to know, like if like COVID never happened. Um, but we did, cause I've, I've never been a car dealer during a recession. Like the last recession mm. that we had, um, I, like, it, I mean, the hard times were probably mostly over like during 2012, I think I, um, I became a car dealer like right around that time. So, um, I've never really sold cars, bought cars and sold cars during a, a full out recession. 
Um, so I, I can't really speak to like what happened in 2008 uh, when sure. when things really went went sideways, uh, went down. But um, I can say that I've I've never never experienced this amount of slowness um, through my car lot. I mean, before the pandemic, we were doing 90 to 100 cars a month and able to find cars to service that or whatever. But um, now, I mean, we're doing we're doing probably 60 to 70 on average a month. And we have the same type of cars. It's just they're they're more expensive. So I would, I'm because cars are so hard to find, and because they're so much more expensive, I'm not able to have cars that I that I could sell for what I used to be able to sell them. We used to have a lot full of fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars cars, and now my sweet spot is like between twenty five hundred to four thousand dollars. So if I got back to the range where we could have fifteen hundred twenty five hundred dollars cars, I don't know if we would be selling upwards toward that 90, a hundred cars, Mm. I would think we probably would just because it's so hard to find cheap cars, but you just can't find stuff like that because inflation has just hit the car market so hard that the cars that I used to sell for 1500 bucks. Now we have to sell it for, we have to sell those same cars for $3,000 three years removed from when it was a $1,500 car. Now it's a $3,000 car because we're having to pay $2,000 for it at the auction. Mm. What what's that sweet spot monthly payment that people typically look for? You know, is it 200 bucks, 300 bucks a month? What's that number? So, um this is not a question I can answer for you because I don't finance any of our cars. I don't gotcha. like debt myself. So, um I don't even put my customer in a position where they can get debt from me. When a customer comes and buys a car from me, they have to have the full amount. Um, I don't have any debt personally. I don't have any uh, debt on my business. I don't like it at all. So, um, so I'm not cash, baby. Gonna, yeah, it's all cash. I'm going to have it now. They don't literally pay me cash. They'll pay me a debit card or whatever. Right. Of course. Of course. There's still a paper trail. Yeah. Um, so don't get me wrong there, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to put my customer in a position where they actually have to take out debt to be able to buy a vehicle. So, um, I don't know the sweet spot for uh, a car payment. I haven't had one in, oh, I don't know. The last time I had a car payment might have been over like 15 years ago. It's been a long That's time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, so how do you think we get out of this? Because, because you know, I, I, I mirror so much of your sentiment. So when I look at the data, like you know, I, 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 I don't, you know, go to lots nearly as much as I probably should, honestly, as I'm studying the the market. But I, you know, rely on videos like yours and others to really get a good understanding. But, but a lot of the data points I was seeing is more cars on the lots. People can afford less because of uh, record high household debt, record high credit cards, Fed rates being much higher than historical in the last 10, 15 years, call it, ever since we went to, you know, to much lower rates. So everything's lining up to a slower economy, less people buying cars. And then on top of that, the way you described it is that we're at a historically low inventory levels already, which is pushing car prices up because there aren't enough cars in the system to be really filtered through the lots. And then you have the additional interest rates on top of that and the fact that people can't really afford cars. So so how do we get out of this? Is this uh, do we need more supply? Do we need more incentives? Do we need just uh, somehow for the prices to come down in some other way? How, how are you thinking about that equation? So the cure for high prices are high prices. And that's what we're getting right now. We're getting a, we're getting the cure for it right now. We're getting we're getting our medicine. And um, so so what's what's going to happen is that um, people can buy less. That's that's what's happening. They're buying less vehicles right now. So then manufacturers 
and uh, dealers to be able to sell vehicles, they're going to pull their prices down. And um, right now, people can't uh, get their loans. So what's going to have to happen is that credit's going to have to ease a little bit for people to get approved for loans again. So all this has to happen to be able to move vehicles. And the only way that you're going to get supply is to move more vehicles because how used car dealers like me get get our vehicles is uh, from auctions. And how a vehicle gets to an auction is from a new car dealer trade-in. So if new car dealers are not selling vehicles, then they're not getting trade-ins. And that's a big problem we're having right now in the used car market. And while we're not having any supplies, uh, because new car, new car dealers are not selling anywhere close to the rate that they have been pre-pandemic. Uh, even last year or the year before that, they're not selling uh, these cars. So they're not sending trade-ins to the auction, meaning there's less vehicles there's fewer vehicles for uh, for us used car dealers to be able to bid on, and that drives prices up. Um, now, there's going to be, I mean, right now we're, we're facing, um, the reason that prices are coming down is because demand is so low, and the uh, the because demand is so low, it's actually outweighing the lack of supply we have, if, if I'm saying wow. that correctly. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Demand is so low that it doesn't matter where supply is because nobody wants to buy. Um, so- we're 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 taking our medicine right now. High prices are are fixing things uh, because it's taking buyers out of the system. And um, as buyers come out of the system, prices have to come down to bring more buyers in. And as more buyers come in, there'll be more supply, at least on the used car side. Now, the new car side is all in the hands of the manufacturers, and we're already seeing now that. Uh, manufacturers are they're pushing out more cars than they have been so the new car side is correcting itself um, a little bit faster right now than the used car side is you're already seeing uh, especially with the american uh, oems jeep is i mean they're just absolutely they're adding so many incentives they're trying to give away ram trucks right now um uh, Ford is already adding incentives. They're going to start to add a ton of incentives because they're just F-150 sitting everywhere. So you're going to see um, the, the new car market correct before the used car market will. And as the new car market corrects, you'll see them sell more vehicles, meaning that they can give us more supply. Got it. So that's extremely helpful. Thank you for explaining that. So just to recap it for, for my brain here. So you not seeing as many cars at the at the car auction is a direct correlation to less trade-ins at new dealer lots, which means that there's less sales. So like your the the car auction business is heavily dependent on what new car dealers are doing with their inventory. So if if there is a lot of uh, so let's say there's a huge spike in car auction uh, vehicles for you to bid on, it means that new dealers uh, new car dealers are selling a lot more uh, cars that people are trading in their car for. And so that allows you to essentially be, be, have access to a larger inventory. I just want to make sure I have that correct. Is that a good way of saying it? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not necessarily uh, one for one because there, there are a few different ways that auctions can get cars. There okay. are new car trade-ins, which is what all car dealers want to buy because those are the best of the best. Uh, not everyone trades in their car because there's a problem. A lot of times they'll trade in the car just because they want to upgrade to a new one. That's the kind of cars we want to buy. Uh, the second way that uh, we see a lot of cars come in um, through auction is repossessions. We all know that repossessions are going up right now. So we're seeing way more repossessions at auction, but 
car dealers don't really want to buy re repo cars because they're not taken care of. A lot of times they come in trashed. Um, and people who don't make their payments on their cars and know that they're going to get them repossessed, they don't take care of them. Um, mm. And also they don't have the money to be able to take care of them. So you're not getting oil changes. You're not getting uh, problems that need to be addressed on these vehicles addressed because they just don't have um, they just don't have the money to do it. Um, you're going to get, uh, lease returns. Sometimes at auctions, you're going to get, uh, uh, independent, independent dealers. We're seeing a lot more independent dealers actually send cars to auction. And that is going to show some of the health of the used car market, because if independent dealers are dumping a lot of their cars, that means that their floor plans are coming up and they've got to make some cash pretty quickly. Um, so we're st starting to see a lot more independent cars go through these auctions, um, I've covered that a little bit on my channel, but that's something that I like to pay attention to because you can tell the health of the used car market a lot by what independent dealers are trying to get rid of and how often they're trying to dump um, these cars at auctions just to turn some quick cash. And I forgot the original question that you asked me, so hopefully I covered it. <laughs> it no, it's all good. No, you, you actually right. uh, helped answer. So the question was, uh, when you're seeing more cars at the auction it, it means that there's a some sort of correlation or direct correlation to new dealers selling more cars and getting more yeah. trade-ins but you just explained there's it's actually multiple variables that yeah yeah so that. but when yeah. we go to auctions as a used car dealer when these auctions we we can see who's selling these cars so when i see a car being ran by wells fargo i know that's a repo but when i see a car being offered by Bob's Toyota, whatever it is, I know that that's a trade-in because they're not going to have any repos or anything like that. Um, but that Toyota dealer is going to actually be sending the trade-in. So as we see more trade-ins from these franchise dealers, the ones that say Bob's Toyota or Dan's Ford, whatever it is, then um, that's when you can know that they're actually selling more vehicles um, and they're they're going to be uh, the more trade-ins that they they send to auction the more vehicles they're going to be selling the less trade the fewer trade-ins that they send to auction the fewer new vehicles they're selling it's just that's that's a direct correlation so yeah got it that's super helpful have you seen a spike in repos like is wells fargo showing up at the at the auction a lot yeah we're seeing a lot more repos i mean you can see it in a lot of the data that's actually publicly released that there's a lot more defaults um and a lot of these banks that are in the auto lending industry there's a lot of them they're getting out of it because they know what's coming it's it's bad and um what uh you're uh what you're seeing is just, I mean, these defaults are rising and these banks are even working with these customers to try to not take back these cars because these banks don't want the cars back because they're so far underwater from where they bought a year, year and a half ago um, that they're worth so much less now than, than what they were. And the customers are so far underwater that now when the bank goes to repo it and then take it, send it to auction, they're losing their butts on these cars because, I mean, one, they're not taken care of, so they're worth less that and two because these customers paid way over msrp for the new ones and they paid way over what the values of the cars and the banks allowed it to happen they were loaning in some cases 140 percent of the loan values on these cars in the last two years and they should i mean they knew something they had to know something bad was going to happen whenever whenever prices did start to correct it's just maybe they didn't think it was going to be this quickly but they were they were they were offering up some loans that they shouldn't have, and now it's now it's probably going to bite them. Got it. Super helpful. I mean, all, all of this is like I, I hope it's it's helpful for the. I think it's going to be super helpful for the viewership that's not familiar with your channel. Just getting an understanding of what's been going on in the market. I think I think for me the the biggest takeaway is that 
there's there's some obvious softness that exists in the auto market. And a lot of that is, uh, you know, if the Fed wouldn't have come out and increased the interest rates, my guess is that people would continue to be buying cars <laughs> at, at some level. Right. I think yeah. uh, people need to tap out at some point. But I think the accelerated uh, almost slowdown, I think, is is mostly Fed related. But I think there are other factors going on as well. I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on on that train. It's I mean, it's price, it's interest rates, it's yeah. monthly payments. And that I mean, I think that's all that matters. Yeah. On on the topic of uh, electric vehicles and, and you know, one, one of the things that I really want to want to pick your brain on is, you know, as I'm thinking about the softness in the in the auto market, I'm wondering how much of an impact the latest uh, moves from Tesla and their price decreases may have had. So do you think there is any correlation between uh, and I don't know how familiar you are, and I, I believe you're, you're pretty familiar with this, but, you know, Tesla lowered their prices pretty massively right. at the beginning yeah. of the year. An electric vehicle manufacturer, the Model Y is the best selling car in the world and I think the best selling non pickup truck in the U.S. But it's an it's an, still a pretty expensive car. I mean, it starts at 50 grand or 46 grand without incentives for the Model Y and the Model 3 is cheaper. But um, do you think that has had any impact on the overall auto market? I'd love to uh, pick your brain on that a little bit. Um, my, my gut reaction is no. Um, but I think it's going to have a big, uh, weight on other OEMs that are also producing EVs. So, I mean, Ford's a good example. Like they have the Mach-E, right? So when you see the Tesla that, uh, the, the prices are very comparable to each other and Ford is even trying to lower their prices to, uh, match up with Tesla. I mean, if you're seeing two vehicles like that, that are similar in price and it's EVs and there's a company that's been doing it for years and years and years. And now Ford, it seems like just got into it. You're going with the Tesla. So I think really where the Tesla price drops are really going to just, just, I mean, really cut the throats of, of these other OEMs that are trying to get into this electric vehicle space um, and I mean, that's my opinion. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on the EV space at all. Um, honestly, I don't know why you even asked me to come on this channel, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that, I mean, that's my opinion on it. Um, and really I don't have an EV. I can tell you that I've driven one EV in my life and it was a 2012 Nissan Leaf and it had a range of eight miles. <laughs> I will say that, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Know-it-all, John, he, uh, great channel. Check him out if you haven't. Uh, but uh, I've done uh, a video with him before and he made me promise uh, that I'm not able to, uh, that I'm not going to drive another EV until I drive his Tesla. So um, hopefully <laughs> soon in the next uh, couple of weeks, I'm going to be driving this Tesla and then maybe I can come back on here with you and uh, tell you my experience uh, with it, with the EV. But uh, I'm definitely not anti-EV. I think that's where we're going. And I really like the things that are that Tesla is doing. Um, my biggest thing, I don't think the cars are the problem. I think the infrastructure is going to be a problem. And I alluded to this a little bit yesterday. I think you had a couple comments on it too. Um, yeah. So I would love to hear your infra infrastructure uh, thoughts. But um, like they were talking on Car Edge how like North Carolina was going to be like the hub of, uh, of EVs and where uh, EVs were making a big push. And in Charlotte, where I drive around a lot, there are 183 places you can charge your vehicle. That doesn't seem right. like a hub to me. Right. 
Yeah. So, so the way, the way to think about an electric vehicle. So I've, I've been driving them since 2016 exclusively. So I've, I've only had uh, electric vehicles, uh, just Teslas and, uh, we've driven them, uh, cross country multiple times. So we drove our model S 75 D which had a range of about, uh, 250 ish miles or so. And we drove that thing from Pennsylvania to Texas. Uh, and then we have a model Y, uh, which we've driven from Pennsylvania to Texas multiple times, and that's closer to 300 miles. And so the way the way to think about the the charging infrastructure is more for long trips. And so um, that's that's what the supercharger network is. If you think about it, like Tesla has a supercharger network, and then Electrify America is the charging system that's uh, that's open to every automaker that uses the CCS standard, which is a type of plug. And then Tesla has their own proprietary plug. And the partnership I think you heard between Ford and Tesla is to use Tesla's plug and their supercharger right. network in yep. the country. So, so those plugs are meant for long distance travel. And then the thought process is that um, you know the majority of of charging uh, takes uh, takes it uh, uh, happens at home. So like we have a garage. So we have a, a single family home, and we plug ours in in the garage. And then if you are at an apartment building, the thought process is is that as more and more EVs are adopted, more and more parking. Um, these uh, parking decks will install chargers because the thought process is, you know, with a gas car today, you have you have to go to a gas station, right? You don't yeah. have gas tanks everywhere. You don't have a gas tank underneath an apartment building because that that seems like it would, that's not a good idea. Uh, but there, there's gas tanks under the gas stations, and that's that's where you can go. Where electricity is really everywhere. Any anywhere that you have light, a light bulb, you have some sort of line that's running to that place. And so, the thought process is scaling. Uh, plugs uh, would be so much easier to do than, say, uh, scaling gas tanks if you wanted to uh, uh, fuel everywhere. Now, the, the one advantage for gas cars is that uh, gas stations are so prevalent that you only have to drive, say, on an average in an average city or town, a maximum of, say, five to 10 miles to go quote unquote charge your car whereas with a with a electric vehicle unless you have something at home that you can plug into that will charge you overnight you would have to go somewhere um do, do you have any questions there do you, do you have any any thoughts there so i have a thought about it. this is where tesla yeah. fails in my opinion so much so i've been in the car industry now for 11 12 years um now with youtube i cover the car market i talk about tesla all the time i read stuff about tesla all the time just yesterday, I found out that it only takes about 15 minutes to charge a Tesla to up to about 85%. I thought previously that it was much longer than that. I remember watching videos from years ago where people would go on these road trips with Tesla to, to uh, try them out, and they would have to sit for an hour, hour and a half to, to get their cars to charge. This is what's been burning my brain, and that just changed yesterday. So I feel like Tesla could do a much better job just with a little bit of advertising. You want to spend so too much money, just a little bit to educate people like me who I'm in the car market. Like I look at car stuff all the time and I didn't know this. Tesla could spend a little bit of money to educate people about EVs and they could sell so many more cars. If they just tell someone like me, Hey, it only takes 15 minutes to charge your car. Hey, you can, you can charge it. I knew you could charge at home, but a lot of people might not know that. You can mm. charge your car at home. Um, you, It's got 200 miles worth of range on it. There's still people out there that think you can go like 40 miles and then you're done. <laughs> and people are are worried about, I mean, them dying. Now, I mean, you're not going to get uh, 
people who want a truck on, on into the system yet because I mean what what's the what are their offerings the the um, Hummer EV and the the Lightning and the Lightning can tow for maybe twenty minutes and then we're done. Um, so hopefully <laughs> Tesla is uh, working on that and the Cybertruck is going to be something that can that can help us there and that's going to do a lot to um, help people especially the guys who need to need to work anybody that needs to, to tow anything or whatever, uh, come yeah. along to the system, but there's just so much information that, that people don't know about a Tesla, about an EV. And this is, this is somewhere where I think Tesla needs to get somebody other than Elon on the job of being able to push out some information to people who are less smart than Elon to understand what's going on. Uh, what, what, what's, what's your opinion on that? I'd, I'd be curious to know. I think that that's a, that's such a, a awesome statement. So I don't know if, if you saw this clip, but so Tesla just had their shareholder meeting, their annual shareholder With, uh, meeting. Kevin, yeah, Kevin, asked Kevin about yeah, that. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and Elon was shocked that uh, there was such a positive reaction to to what he said. You know, like, hey, let's spend a little bit of advertising on the education. I think I think that's a that's something that's starting to shift uh, for sure for the brand. I think, um, you know, having worked there, it's not part of the DNA of the company to really think about advertising because in their head, they're like, well, the product will speak for itself. And all we need to do is just put it in customers' hands so that they can experience it uh, and decide for themselves. It's just in their in their DNA. And I think uh, the company now, you know, sort of hearing you talk and many others too, because I'm, I'm really trying to learn how how everyone thinks about electric vehicles in general, I think a an effort to try and perhaps uh, educate or try to help people understand uh, how an electric vehicle can be beneficial to someone versus, you know, and try to dispel some of the fears could be could be very beneficial for them. So I think I think it's it's I think it's helpful, you know, like, for example, your comment of, you know, it's going to take an hour and a half or whatever. I'll give you an example. So when we when we do our yearly road trip from Texas to Pennsylvania, you know, we we charge every I don't know every three hours or so, and then we bring our dogs. And then by the time we walk our dogs and we use the bathroom and maybe pick up a bottle of water, the car is ready for another three hours of driving. So it's like right. 20, and I mean, minutes. I can get all. Yeah. My question has always been, okay, well, what if you want to drive somewhere far away? Like there, I mean, there are days that I've been to two different auctions and I'm driving 200 miles, but if I knew like a, a, a EV, especially like a Tesla, it only took 15 minutes, then that objection like falls, falls by the wayside at that point, because I mean, it's going to take me 10 minutes to, to fill up my truck. So it's, it's literally the same thing. It's more about just knowing where the charging station is and being able to, to find it too. Because I mean, there are parts of this country where there's, there's nothing there. Like there's a lot of towns that sure. have, have a gas station, they have a family dollar and, like that's it. Like uh, so, I think infrastructure, especially reaching that part of America, is going to be much tougher um, and many, many, many years away. But it's probably going to be something along the self-fulfilling prophecies that, um, as more of these EVs are pushed in the system, it there's going to be less uh, uh, oil that needs to be drilled for. So it's going to make it less profitable for these oil companies to drill, meaning that the price of gas is going to go up. So it's uh, it's it's something that's coming. And I think it's just going to be kind of that uh, self-fulfilling prophecy because it's just going to stack prices, demand, price, demand, price, demand. It just keeps on going. Yeah. Do you do you hear anything about EVs from your customers? Does that ever come up as a, as a discussion? My customers buy $5,000 and under cars. So there's not a used Tesla out there that you could buy for $5,000. And then, so 
that's not even in my customer's thought process. Also, my customers, they need to buy something that they know. They need to buy something that they know is going to get them to work. They don't need to have any questions about this vehicle. They, uh, they are buying it because they have to feed their kids. Um, so they don't need to experiment with this EV that they've never owned before. They have to buy a 2001 Ford Taurus that they know they're going to get out there. They're going to crank it. And if it uh, needs some energy, they can pull it right up to the gas station, pump it up, and they don't have any questions about it. That's what my customer has to has to buy. So, so the answer to that is no. What what percentage of the of the car buying market do you think fits that description? Where they when they're looking for a car, they just want a zero risk. I know what I'm getting. I just need a point A to point B machine that I don't have to worry about. Do you think that's a, that's the majority of the car buying public? I think no. Um, I think there's there's probably more people out there that have that are able to to buy something that maybe they just don't know that, uh, uh, I don't even know how I'm trying to say this. Um, I think my customer base is more in a desperation mode. Um, when they get to me, uh, they probably already had a car repo. They've already had their credit just absolutely destroyed. Um, it's, I think it's probably a very small percentage of people that actually come to me because they want to buy this 1500, this $2,500 car. Um, they're coming to me because they, they need help and they want to, uh, they, they want to be able to buy a car that they can't have it taken away from them. They don't have to, or they're trying to get themselves in a better financial situation for later on. Um, so I, I, I really think that that's probably not, uh, a most of, uh, of our economy, um, that, that I'm dealing with. Um, but, I forgot what your question was again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the so question bad. is See, when we go an hour and a half, I you're going to get this. I'm sorry for it. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, dude. No, you're fine. You have nothing to apologize for. The, yeah. So the question was, do you think most of the EV like do you think most of the buying public that buys cars fits the description of I just I want to get exactly something that is zero risk, point A to point B. I don't gotta worry about it. I just want something that I just I, I know what I'm getting, right? So I'm not gonna tip my toes into EVs yeah, yeah, or yeah. this or that. Yeah. So I think in general, most people want to just they want what they're comfortable with. I think that mm -hmm. whether you're talking about a car or anything else, people gravitate towards what they know. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I think the people who are buying Teslas uh, for the first time um, are going to be your your people who uh, who are more uh, adventure seeker uh, seeking people, probably people who are OK, kind of stepping into the unknown because most people don't research either. Like like you it, before getting into Tesla, I'm assuming that you would know everything about a Tesla before you would buy it. And most oh, people sure. are not like that. Okay, got, that's helpful. What what do you think needs to happen? So I you know I don't know how much we have to fast forward, but let's say the the clientele that you that you uh, that you partner with, so your customer base. Mm -hmm. What would an electric vehicle have to be like for your customers to seriously consider buying one? So there what are those variables? Be, there would have to be a big enough sample size to see that okay, this Tesla has. 150,000 miles. And now we're seeing Teslas that have 250,000 miles and you don't have to put another battery in them or you, they, you don't have some crazy repair that's got to uh, come up because a lot of times when my customer is coming, even a customer, my higher end customer that's buying a $5,000 car off my lot, um, they still need the car to last. They don't have very much money after that $5,000. So they need to know that they're not going to have a 
$2,500 expense, that's just going to be normal. And I would assume um, a replacing of a battery in an EV is kind of a normal maintenance thing after a certain amount of miles. I could be wrong on that. I don't know. Um, so maybe you can tell me about that right now. Yeah, it actually isn't. So so the, okay. the battery, yeah, at least, I mean, I'm going to speak for Tesla. So See, that's uh, the thing replace, too. Tesla could tell yeah. me about that. I don't know. Right. Right. No, that, that those are great points. Yeah. So with a Tesla, the you're not really expected to to change the battery that they have. a I believe the latest warranty they have is eight year unlimited mile. But there, there is a uh, wow. Tesla's yeah. out there with 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 uh, close to a million miles on their batteries. When I used to work there, I mean, uh, I, I don't I think that should be out of my NDA by now. Uh, we never really saw uh, like the battery, the battery part that we shipped out of our, our facilities to replace was like we it barely moved, which told me that's like, hey, there aren't batteries failing left and right. You know, you know, when you have a fleet of, say, two, three million Teslas, yeah, you'll have the one off car that's going to need a battery change. But it's like, no, you know, I would I'm willing to bet a battery change happens way less often than an entire engine rebuild in a, in, a, in a new car or, you know, you have to swap out the engine. I, I think those happen a lot less frequently. Uh, so the the usual maintenance stuff will. I mean, if I use my cars as an example, windshield wipers, windshield wiper fluid, um, the the cabin air filter tires alignment that's it yeah and i mean that's great i mean if if people most people knew this you would you would see more ev sales going through and this is this is an obvious thing for you to talk about but like my customers don't don't know this like if if you could have a, a vehicle out there like a tesla that you don't have to take into service i know you don't have to get an oil change i know you don't have to do a regular maintenance like you're going to have to do on a, a internal combustion engine. I mean, this is a huge selling point for a lot of these EVs. And I think if if the knowledge is just out there and if, if Tesla is actually promoting this, they're going to see a, a, a just a massive like increase to their sales if they just take some time, spend some money and, and actually educate uh, people on what's what's going on with their vehicles. Because I mean, what, what I've seen in older older EVs that actually are in our price range. It's like a Nissan Leaf. I mean, you're getting, the batteries are already dead at this point and you're getting eight miles worth of charge and no mm. one's going to, especially where I am, where you have to drive everywhere to get to everything. Um, and, and that's what's, that's what's burned into some people's, like just their brains, uh, as far as EVs, they connect this. Um, and you, you really have to crush that as a, as a, as a marketing tool for Tesla to be able to convert people from the safety of gas to be able to actually charge. Yeah. What What do you think? So if, if you kind of look, you know, if you think back to sort of how you um, th those things that you weren't sure about or maybe the people that you talk to, the people that you know that talk about EVs, like what what do you think caused that um, that that say lack of knowledge? Is it Tesla just not coming out and saying this is what it is and then folks intuitively saying, well, you probably need to replace the battery or was there some something else that like I'm just curious to hear how you uh, arrive to these conclusions with EVs just out of curiosity. I really think people just don't don't look this stuff up. I mean, it's easy. Mm. Like even me. I mean, I'm not I'm not doing research on EVs. I'm not because uh, it's just not some. It's not part of my everyday life. My business revolves around these cheaper end cars, so I don't need to know anything about EVs. Even with me starting the, this YouTube channel, like I follow Tesla as a company, but as far as the individual cars, the technology behind the cars, 
I don't need to know anything about them. And um, I'm, I'm going to now more in the future because um, this is actually something that's been very interesting to me to, to learn about just hearing from you and hear from um, Zach and Ray's channel from yesterday. It's completely changed my mind um, as far as the, I won't say safety, but as far as not worrying about necessarily uh, losing charge and then being, being stranded at some point, which I know a lot of that's uh, really just, just blown up anyway for most people that don't know about EVs, but just, just the simple knowledge of being able to talk to some people that have EVs um, has, has really changed a lot for me. And that, that just general information is not, not out there. There's no commercials on TV. That's going to tell uh, this older generation that, Hey, you can, you can get 200 miles with, with, uh, with a Tesla. That information is not just easily out there because they don't advertise it. Mm -hmm. So like if I were to role play something, let's say the company comes out for the freaking Super Bowl and they have this like one minute ad just like squashing like the top three things like, you know, 200 miles, you don't got to replace the battery, you ain't going to run out of charge, whatever, you you barely have to like repair or, or maintain the company. Do you think something like that would do well? Yeah, but they don't even have to do that. I mean, Tesla, I mean, Elon Musk owns Twitter to start there. Yeah, I mean sure. it's it's easy free advertising for for Tesla to to run ads all over Twitter just just throwing out knowledge. I mean even something simple as like YouTube ads saying, "Hey, did you know that a Tesla can go for 200 miles without a charge?" That's the commercial. That's it. I mean it's it, it would take almost no money. I think uh even when uh when Kevin went up, um he said something like uh Netflix Netflix uh, spends uh, hardly no money on uh, compared to their market cap on on advertising, and you see their ads everywhere. And Tesla could could easily do the same thing. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. The the one comment you made is that you think over time we're likely going to go EV. Um, how how long do you think that's going to take? And yeah, so let's start there. Like, is this like a ten year thing, a fifty year thing? How are you thinking about this? I think it's probably a lot longer than a lot of people think um, just because like, like I said earlier, the, the cars I think are the, the easy, the easy thing. It's the, it's the infrastructure. Cause even if you can charge at home every night, people are still going to need to have those charging stations. They can get to quickly before they feel comfortable to actually buy a Tesla, to be a, buy a, a EV, especially in these more rural areas. Um, and that's that's a large majority of the population. That's that's where they live. Um, so that's that's going to be a long road to get them to uh, to adapt to that. I think it's going to more depend on something that has nothing to do with EVs, and that's the price of gas. So as more EVs get adopted, if it just becomes to where these these oil producers are are it's costing them so much money, and the price of gas has to go up so high just the act the actual price of gas might actually push people into EVs that didn't want to go into EVs because they can't afford to pay gas anymore. Sure. Sure. That's, that's, that's a fascinating point. Um, what I, about I didn't the give whole... you a time frame. I don't, I don't know a time. Frame. It's going to be long, longer, longer than whatever, yeah. whatever everybody thinks. Yeah. Um, and then I'm curious because you, you are a used car dealer. So the, the one thing that Tesla's doing that other automakers, I know like Ford's trying to do and, and their their dealers are super pissed at them for doing this, but it's a, it's going direct. So a direct to sales model 
where the uh the the new card dealer is basically doesn't exist and the the manufacturer deals directly with the customer what do you think about that model as a used car dealer ford wants to do this but they're not going to be able to because they can't get around the dealers there's no uh there's so many laws that are set up in all of these states to protect protect these dealers from this happening so um it's making a lot of these dealers very upset that they're even um entertaining this idea and there's a lot of dealers that don't want to put in these uh these chargers and spend this money uh when ford is trying to go direct to customer and um basically compete directly with their with their dealers ultimately i don't think it's going to happen because ford needs these dealers to take these vehicles uh even if they try to branch it out with the ev segment to just go that d to c um I still think they're not going to be able to do it. And it's not going to be anytime soon unless some of these laws come down. And I can tell you that there are a lot of members in Congress that get some money from these dealers. So I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. (laughs) That lobbying group, isn't it one of the largest lobbying groups in America, the dealership lobby, right? Yep. Yeah. I heard a stat from uh, from Corey Steuben from Monroe Live. I think uh, he said, so he's there up in uh, Michigan and uh, the... So if you look at all the millionaires in Michigan, the largest uh, percentage uh, so of profession for those millionaires is a car dealer. So they wow. own a car dealership. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of money. Yeah. There's a lot of money in, in that system. So um, yeah. that's a lot of lobbying dollars that uh, the the manufacturers really can't go against. So, so based on that knowledge, do you think that Tesla would have to uh, have a dealership network at some point, or do you think that direct to sales model can exist with them, or is it going to be some automakers that are going to do it, or how how do you think about that equation long term? Um, that's uh, two questions. I think Tesla would be ridiculous to go to the dealership model. Um, they've they're winning right now. They're they're doing it the right way. Um, they've got to get some some cheaper four door cars out there and uh, more adaption on the EV front, and they're just going to blow everyone out of the water, I think. Um, but uh, as far as other OEMs going to direct-to-consumer, I, just uh, the same argument from earlier, just like Ford, all these I'm other sorry. ones, they're all padding the, the lawmakers' pockets, and um, they're so protected. And if even if Ford has some kind of lawsuit against one of their dealers because they're doing some crazy markup or whatever, they're not going to win because the dealers are so protected by a lot of these laws. One thing I want to talk about from earlier, you're talking about Ford and Tesla kind of competing and Tesla dropping their prices and then Ford trying to drop prices to make it comparable. So I've been to lots of dealerships, Ford dealerships, and seen lots of these Mach-E's. I've not seen a Mach-E without a uh, dealer adjustment on it. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how low Ford wants to cut the MSRPs on these Mach-E's. If the dealerships don't get... Um, on board with dropping prices, it's not going to matter because Ford could drop the Mach-E price 50%, but then you have these dealerships, they're just going to throw a, a market adjustment on it of an added $35,000 and it completely negates whatever Ford wants to do by dropping the MSRPs. And that's what we're seeing everywhere. I've, and I've yet to see a Ford Lightning without a uh, market adjustment. And those things, as far as what I'm reading and people who actually own them, they're garbage. And really, yeah, and they're still adding market adjustments on every single one of them. So it doesn't matter what Ford wants to do. It only matters what the dealerships will do. 
Interesting. What what do you think is causing the dealers to add such a huge markup to to those cars specifically? Is it demand or is it they don't want to sell them because of the lack of the maintenance? Like how how do you think about that equation? No, they want to sell every vehicle they get. Okay. The problem was in the last two and a half years, last three years, the there was such a supply shortage of all of these new vehicles that they were able to charge these market adjustments. And I can go ahead and tell you these new dealers, if they can charge it and they can get it and there's a customer that'll pay it, they're going to charge it. So they just came out of this time period and now people are kind of saying, no, they can't afford it. They're not going to be able to do it. So that's why you're seeing now a lot of these market adjustments come off, but still the rare vehicles that are out there, the Ford Lightning, well, I guess Ford Lightning is not really rare anymore, but because um, you can find them everywhere, but they still have market adjustments on them. The Mach-E's were, were scarce for one time. These uh, Ford Broncos, the bigger ones, um, if you're looking at a lot of the Toyotas, like RAV4s, you can't find a RAV4, but if you find one, you're probably going to pay a market adjustment. But it's just a scarcity of of these vehicles. And when you have that, there's more demand for it. And when there's more demand for it, these dealers can charge more money. Interesting. The So so what goes through my mind is that if, you know, I think, you, you, you know, you, you've mentioned this at the beginning of the video that, you know, one of the reasons why you're doing what you're doing is to bring transparency into the car buying process. You really want to be transparent about what's going on in the market, you know, because car dealers, you know, I have yet to meet one person in my life that was like, wow, I love going to the car dealer to buy a new yeah. car. I've never, <laughs> I don't know if you ever, ever heard that. <laughs> I've, never, I've never personally heard that. So it, it sounds like, um, We've all been very used to and conditioned with the idea for the for the however long that car dealership network has existed in the United States, decades, that this is just how it is. You you go, you haggle, you're probably gonna get ripped off, and you just take it and you try to do better next time and you try to love a car and not have buyer's remorse like the next day, right? Like that's that's the car buying equation for a lot of new car buyers, I feel like. And right. now you have a, a player with Tesla that's doing the direct to sales model that uh, has transparency in pricing and you know you just buy it online you show up to the dealer 15 minutes later you drive off and you know you paid the same price as everybody else did on that day so what um do you view the dealership network as a liability in the united states when you have a player that's doing direct or do you think uh like or do you think about it differently how do you think about that equation do you think it's a liability so it's kind of the dealership model is a double-edged sword for a lot of these oems right so they can help them by they have this big network network where the OEMs can just ship these cars out to these dealerships. And then it's the dealership's responsibility for selling them their hands off at that point. Once they get up to the dealership, it's a sale. So that's a good thing. Right. But it's also on the other side of the sword. It's it's the dealerships control the pricing. So if the dealerships want to do this crazy stuff that they've done in the last three years, I can tell you Ford's reputation has been damaged in the last three years because of their dealerships. There have been people that have gone on to a Ford dealership. There's not a lot of F-150s there. They see an F-150 that they want. They like it. And then they see the dealership wanting to add a $20,000 dealer markup for no reason other than there's not a whole lot of them out there. And that customer will walk. And that customer will go somewhere else and try to find another vehicle that doesn't have um, this crazy markup on it. And that customer probably will never go to a Ford dealership ever again. These dealers are hurting the trust of their brands for the OEMs. And uh, I've talked about it and I, I feel like I talk about Ford too much, but I've, I've seen this at Ford more than I've seen it at any other dealership. Um, Ford is just, 
their dealers are out of hand and it's really this this model is i think hurting an oem like ford way more than it's helping at this point now pre-pandemic when they weren't able to do this maybe we could argue the other way that the dealerships were actually helping because ford could send them out to the dealerships and their hands are washed and they're still selling a lot of vehicles but now i really think that the the dealerships are hurting these oems more than they're helping and so the it sounds like the solution then is just if you get if you stop ripping off customers and actually give them a reasonable price and give them a good car then a lot of this is solved is that the right way of thinking about it right but the, i mean then there's going to be your perspectives of okay well now what's a good price so <laughs> i mean mm -hmm. really you can get into that argument at, at, at any any time during this whole pricing model, whether it's before the pandemic or now. But I can tell you now the prices are, are too much. But um, just that's the situation that you're getting into with with a lot of these dealers because they, they, they're defining what a good price is. And they're saying that, OK, with stuff scarce, then we can charge more. And you're still getting a good price. It's just there's not a lot of them out there. Got it. What's what's the most popular brand that you sell in your lots? Like, is it Toyota? What's what's the biggest brand? Toyota is my preferred brand to sell. Um, I will say that Toyotas still demand, even on the used cheaper side, they demand higher prices than any other brand. Um, but I would say we probably look to buy Toyota more than any other brand, just because I know mm. we're not going to have all that many issues. Like we buy cars when we're selling for five thousand dollars and under. They have a lot of miles on them. So anywhere from 150,000 all the way up to 250,000, I still know that a Toyota Camry, a 2002 Toyota Camry with a 200,000 with 200, miles is the same thing as like a Ford Fusion with 80,000 miles. So it's, mm. I just know that they're good cars and we're not going to have to do a lot of, a lot to them. And the motors and transmissions are going to last for a very long time. I see, I see Toyota Camrys, especially in that age range all the time at auctions with 400, 400 plus thousand miles. So I just know they run forever. Crazy. Legendary. I, I love just how, how everyone agrees that Toyotas last forever. It's like a, they've yeah. done such a great job, you know, and I think that's the whole the reputation they've built ever since they, you know, they took the U.S. by storm back in the, I think it was the 80s, right? With like the Japanese invasion, 70s, 80s, around that time frame, maybe even 90s. It was, I think, starting in the 80s. You know, they took everyone by storm. You had a lot of the uh, U.S. automakers sleeping at the wheel. Uh, <laughs> sorry for the pun, but sleeping at the wheel with a lot of their brands. And then uh, all of a sudden, Japanese came in with affordable, reliable cars. And they've built this reputation of, dude, just buy the freaking Camry because you know it's going to last forever. Buy the Corolla because it's going to last forever. It's just that's fascinating to see it. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. That they came in with these affordable cars. Is that not what Tesla's kind of trying to do right now too? To come in with a little cheaper model and like these OEMs, these American OEMs, like they're not even making four door sedans anymore. And right. it might be because they know that they can't compete with Toyota, they can't compete with Honda, and now maybe they can't compete with Tesla. So they have to go after these higher margin products with these trucks, with these big SUVs, because that's where they're going to, that's where they're going to make their money. So if, if there's a company like Tesla or um, any other companies that come out where they can provide a cheaper uh, big truck, a cheaper big SUV, it's going to be tough for these OEMs going forward. And they, they, they know, I think that's why Jim Farley is trying to 
get up with uh, Tesla and they're all buddy buddy. And I don't I don't understand why why Tesla is allowing uh, this uh, partnership to happen. It's good for Ford, <laughs> I think, bad for Tesla. But I understand Tesla's uh, their mission, and it's it's good for the mission. Maybe maybe not great for the company, but maybe there'll be some kind of licensing deal that's that we're not being told about something like that. Yeah, I think I think what what's happening behind the scenes, you know, it, it, Tesla rarely does something that's not, you know, it, it's definitely for the mission, but they're definitely winning in some monetary perspective. Like my, my right. gut is, you know, when a when a non Tesla comes and charges that, you know, they, they might charge a premium or Ford is paying them a licensing fee every year to be able to use the the charging. So it's a it will be a net positive for the company. Maybe they'll, they might just break even, you know, on it. But I think the the net impact will be will be positive because you think about the dynamic, right? Anytime a, a Ford car shows up at a supercharger uh, charging spot, it's going to be surrounded by, I don't know, five, 10 Teslas. Teslas. Yeah. So you're basically just every time you go charge, you're driving into a Tesla parking lot, a Tesla dealership quote unquote. So like from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. See, my, my question too, from, from a Tesla standpoint is, are they just trying to be like the operating system going forward? Because they could have all these shell companies of like Ford, GM, whatever they're making, but they don't have the technology to be able to put uh, this self-driving stuff, all the, all the data that Tesla's just uh, perfected in the last uh, 10, 15 years. And Tesla's already got it. Could they just become the Android for all these different phone makers and, and basically do that in, in a car. And then it's just like Tesla and Apple and then everyone else just makes phones. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating question. That's something that's been thrown around uh, a little while here in the last couple of weeks, ever since the the initial partnership came out with uh, Ford and, and, and Tesla and Elon Musk was, you know, he was saying, hey, like, uh, we're willing to help with anybody on the software side, on the FSD side. I think over time that will happen. I think over time Tesla will be quite involved in the, say, outsourcing of technology in some respects, because uh, I, I do believe they're much farther ahead than than and literally every other legacy automaker. I don't know about uh, the new upstarts in China. I think that they're pretty competitive, but um, you know, GM, Ford, and all these other players, VW, BM, you know, BMW. Mercedes, all these guys, Tesla has advantages that they don't have, and it's multiple years ahead, sometimes even a decade ahead. And it, it would benefit Tesla in outsourcing their technology because it does it, it fulfills the mission, which is advanced the world to sustainable transportation. And then they're also winning from the standpoint that all they're doing is they're just selling something that they never sold before, and they're making money on something they weren't making money on before, which is, you know, the say the full self-driving computer as an example, right now it costs them say $2,000 per car to include that hardware, regardless if someone's going to buy the software or not. Whereas it can be like, okay, Ford, you want to take on the full self-driving suite? Great. We'll sell it to you for 5,000. And all of a right. sudden now they're making money on something they're not necessarily market making money on right now. So uh, I fully expect this to happen over time. It'll probably take uh, a few years, probably a decade or so. But it's one of the competitive advantages, you know, when you're so ahead in, in, in a myriad of things when it comes to EVs, that's the kind of opportunities that unlock. And I wonder how much of the Ford Tesla partnership is sort of a opening the door, like a floodgate of sorts of this to happen later in the future. Right. So my yeah. other question would be, um, so you talked about maybe the China competitors. So um, if we have some kind of really like seriously affordable um 
small car come over from China from one of these OEMs from China? What do you think that does to Tesla's market share if they try to kind of rush the market, especially in a time period like this when everything's so inflated? If we do have one of those cars come over here and say it's twenty thousand dollars, yeah, I don't that, know if they can even question. get it that cheap. But yeah, that's a great question. So there are two variables there. One, uh, will will the U.S. allow China to sell cars in the U.S.? Because you know there's there's a lot of uh, there the, uh, <laughs> the, the relationship is a little bit unstable right now between the two countries. But I would expect China to penetrate U.S. at some point with with, uh, right. with their vehicles because they're doing so in Europe already and they're laying out the groundwork to come to the states. I, I think my personal opinion is that I think that hurts OEMs more than our legacy OEMs more than Tesla because Tesla I think will offer a a unique product in relation to the to the cheaper Chinese vehicles where you know they'll both be EVs the Chinese vehicle might be 20 25,000 but I I from the all the research I've done it, it's still quite clear that Tesla has an advantage from a technology perspective they have an advantage from a di driving dynamic perspective from a reliability perspective uh, and uh, so they'll have a market and and the sort of analogy I use is that's probably going to mirror something similar to what we have in the phone market sort of using your Android analogy you'll have an Apple Samsung situation where uh, Apple has has the minority share in the global market when it comes to number of phones in relation to Android, but they have 90, 95% of the profits. So China, the Chinese automakers will probably try to flood the market with affordable EVs, but they'll make maybe one or 2% margin on those things, maybe break even. And then Tesla will sell, say, you know, equal or less amount of the Chinese vehicles, but they're making freaking 90 to 95% of the profits, you right. know, 20, 30, 40% margins. That's see, how I see I it could, play out. Yeah, and I could see like Tesla, even if there is this sub division or whatever of, of EV cars that breaks out, like Tesla could just be the Toyota of the EVs at that point where that's what everybody wants. And it's just the more reliable of all of the other cars and even maybe even the the one that's just sought after more than the others. And then you have, I don't want to mention any other brands, but a cheaper version of of the uh the the Chinese models that would that would come in and uh, people who just want a cheaper car they would go to that but people who are actually doing their research and wanting the more reliable the better version of the EV car maybe it's just the Tesla the the Toyota now of the EV space yeah that that's what I expect to happen we'll we'll see we'll see if that actually comes to fruition but that that's where my gut is 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 saying that's what the research that I've been doing is kind of slowly starting to point towards but. But we'll see. We'll see where we go. Um, about uh, 50 minutes of Q&A. What do you think? Should we do it? As long as you want, yeah. man. You got me forever. Awesome, dude. Appreciate you. Thank you all so much for sticking with us thus far. It's been a fascinating discussion with Brandon. Make sure you do check out his channel, Car Questions Answered on YouTube. He's been on YouTube for a little over eight months, and his content is phenomenal. Make sure you go check it out. Great insights into the uh, the auto business, the auto market, uh, the car auction market, used car market. Uh, and it's just been such a pleasure speaking with you, Brandon. I'd love to have you back at some point. And I think we're doing, uh, uh, at some point, uh, I know Car Edge Unplugged, uh, uh, I was. I don't know if you saw the email thread, but they want us all on a on a multicast where we can all sit down and chat. So I think that might yeah, be Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I don't know why I was invited to that either. So yeah, I just, they, just, <laughs> they just want somebody who doesn't know anything about EV. So they want to... <laughs> have someone whoever's hosting it wants somebody else to be able to ask questions because the host already knows all the stuff about EV. So they need the idiot to come in and then say, <laughs> you know what? I, uh, I don't know that, um, you even have to plug in an EV. Is it not solar powered? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know, man. I think I think you're being too modest. I, I really I really uh, yeah, I think it's great to have your insight because you, you're just clearly so knowledgeable. And in the end, I mean, EV or not, it's a transportation unit and you understand transportation. And so that's right. that's ultimately okay. the most important thing there. So um, cool. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and I'll pull up some questions. Producer wife, I'll let you take over here and pull up uh, the questions that you think are the best ones, which is all of them. Paul, uh, what are dealers going to do with all that unsellable inventory? Well, what do you think, Brandon? So what, what has to happen? So we still see right now, I'm going right back to Ford. So we've been to dealerships in the last few weeks. There's still 2022 brand new escapes um, on these Ford dealerships. So what has to happen is the prices literally just have to get to a point where somebody will buy it. So they just have to lower price, lower price, lower price. And eventually they'll sell it or they'll get somebody locked into it. They'll add enough incentives. They'll add special interest rates for particular models. And that's the only way that they're going to be able to do it. So there's not necessarily um, anything that's going to happen to this. Like they don't just throw it out into a field and, and don't sell it. The dealerships, they're on the hook for these cars. They have to move them. They have to sell them in some capacity. Now they can send the ones that sit there for... 90 plus days. I mean, in the, in the case of these 2022s, they've been there for years and they probably moved between multiple dealerships and there's been multiple dealerships that haven't been able to sell them. But what, uh, what'll happen too is that if, um, these dealerships will actually hold cars for over 90 days, sometimes they'll send them to auction and they'll dump them to another dealer. And then that dealer will have to try to sell them. But, um, every time these dealerships take a car to auction, they're not going to get, um, what, what they paid for it. So they're going to lose money every time, but sometimes it's better for these dealerships to, or at least in their minds, they think to roll inventory and keep inventory, just moving around and taking losses where they do, and then making it up on the next one. Um, then actually keeping these cars on their lots for months and months at a time. Got it. That's helpful. And so, so the, the conventional wisdom would say that at some point, for each car that's sitting unsellable for any number of months and years, it sounds like at some point, a dealer that ends up with that unit is going to have to lower the price low enough to just take that hit. And then they're on the hook for all those losses, basically. Yeah, they either do that or they send it to auction and try to give it to another dealership. But when they send yes. it to auction, they're going to take it. They're going to take a big <laughs> I mean, they're going to take a big loss on it. Um, so yeah. that's that's what we're seeing at auctions, especially. That's why I like to watch a lot of these independent dealers, too, because they're doing the same kind of thing. Gotcha. That's helpful. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. Let's do the next question. And I always try to time them and I'm always so bad with timing them. And there we go. Kevin, question. Is there a service that tracks number of car sales uh, by price? Uh, do you know of any service like that? Not by price. Um, I don't know if you're looking at... Um, like new car sales or used car sales. If you're looking at used car sales, there's not going to be there's not going to be anything out there because a lot of these small dealers they're not they're not reporting any of their numbers to any kind of entity. I mean, they'll report it to the DMV or whatever. So um, I've heard that Car Edge actually has access to I don't know how they've done it across all the states, but access to the actual data when these cars are getting registered from these dealers and how much they're paid. Um, I haven't researched it on, on their end. That's probably my fault because Zach's asked me to look at it too. Uh, but, uh, they, they have some information, some data 
um, saying that uh, they can actually show what uh, what cars have been sold. So this is this is kind of a plug for Car Edge. Go go check them out because I think this is the kind of thing that they're working on. But to my knowledge, there is nothing else out there really that's tracking actual sales data. Yeah, that's that's uh, so with Car Edge. So one of the things I'm working on with them on the on the on the back end and it's like it's i'm not being paid it's just like we're just doing it because it's like fun <laughs> which is tells you how big of a nerd i am uh they have the data to, uh, in that for all the dealers and so they're working on releasing a product that will allow really anyone to have access to a bunch of different data points as it relates to the to the new and used car dealership market probably the new car dealership market i, I would guess with this one specifically uh, or maybe both who knows but um yeah so we'll see at caredge.com um i'm working with zach and ray and well, those guys yeah and my so wife we'll just see. put in the comments she knows more about this than i do i guess so she says it's not okay. all states that they've got okay, data, it's not all states. Got data for yep Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, and then, uh, uh, Zach, if you're uh, watching this, you can put me and Farzad's check. Just, just send it, send it in the mail <laughs> to us. We'll take, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take our commission from that right now. Thank you. Sir. <laughs> there you go. I look forward to my four cents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's do the uh, the next question. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, if if I do come across uh, some data sets, I'll make sure to make sure everybody knows it because it's very helpful data for the public. Next question, Shane. Thank you so much for the two dollar super chat, brother. I really appreciate you, uh, Brandon. Check out Sandy Monroe Tesla teardown vids. Have you heard of Sandy Monroe? I haven't. I haven't watched any of it. Okay. There there is this channel called uh, Monroe Live, and and they uh, it's uh, Sandy Monroe who. Uh, worked at Ford for a long time. He's uh, He has an independent firm called Monroe & Associates where they tear down uh, basically every every new car. And they just have videos for free. So if you want to get into like the uh, like super okay. detail awesome. as to how a yeah. car works and everything, definitely check it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would be cool to see on, a, on an EV. Yeah, they do a really good job. Thank you, Shane, for the plug. Uh, uh, Sandy, Corey, I look forward to my check. I'm kidding. <laughs> Appreciate you guys. Let's do the next question. And... Mimi, Afarza, tell him uh, this stream is full with positive comments on our guest. Very much appreciated with another perspective. Uh, Mimi is a longstanding uh, member of our channel. She's awesome. She's uh, all the way up in the Scandinavian countries from Sweden. And uh, yeah, so awesome. there you go, Brandon. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Brother. Yeah, I, re I really appreciate that. And it's not that I, I have a different perspective. I have no perspective. So <laughs> that's uh, that's good. So maybe I'm getting some of the questions out that other people that don't really know what's going on in the EV space um, to someone who's very knowledgeable. And I'm, I'm very, uh, it's very humbling experience to have my wealth of knowledge on the used car industry and then have no knowledge on the EV space. But I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's very, very good for me to learn this kind of stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's like, I feel like we're both exchanging uh, information that I'm, I, I don't know anything about the used car market or, you know, really anything outside of EVs much. And you've just helped me understand that so much. And if I'm helpful in the other way, then I'm so happy. But thank you, maybe for sharing that. I'm so happy to hear that our community is uh, treating our, our guests so well. Uh, Question. Not really. Uh, Brandon, enjoyed your content for three to four months now. Great insight and actually really relevant to Tesla and EVs. Thanks. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. So, uh, I mean, a lot of the content I think that I put out as far as looking at these dealers and how horrible um, some of these dealers are should push you to go want to uh, look into Tesla and see if there's something that you want to buy because you're not you're not having any of these crazy fees and markups um, at Tesla. And uh, it's uh it's a it's a much different buying experience and not one that I think you're you're probably going to uh, want to um, avoid like you would a dealership. 
Yeah. Thank you, Roger, for that really nice comment. Uh, let's do the next one. And... Damn it. I'm so bad at this. Uh, Agwan, <laughs> are, are all dealers new and used going to install ch Tesla charging stalls with the new incentives Tesla offers? Have you have you heard about these uh, incentives? I don't at all? know. Yeah, I don't know. What incentives are they are they adding? Yeah, so it looks like they're... Um, and I'm a little unfamiliar, but I know f when we used to have our small business back in Pennsylvania, uh, Tesla helped us. Uh, they basically uh, helped us pay to install uh, destination chargers at our um, at our business. So they had like basically, you know, like 240 plugs, basic 240 volt plugs, but they're like super, you know, they have a shell and everything. So right. um, do you think, uh, I mean, would that be an opportunity for you? If like, so let's say Tesla charger, Tesla cars or EVs in general become super affordable. Would you look to have something like that install all your dealer? I mean, or if that... we, if we ever went to, uh, I mean, it could be years and years from, and, and I'm hope I'm not a car dealer at that point, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, no, just, just kidding. But, um, if it gets to be a point 10 years, 15 years from now, where we're starting to, um, have EVs that we can actually sell to our customers at reasonable prices, um, then we're going to have to have that. So it's not going to be, isn't, there's not going to be any incentives that are going to push us to do it. We're just going to have to have it. So as more EVs are coming onto the system and as more used car dealers are going to have EVs, it's just going to be a, a factor of it's just going to have to happen. Yeah. I think what's interesting about this question is that now that the Ford and Tesla partnership has happened, uh, there's momentum on the Tesla's plug to become the standard. Uh, in the states uh and so if that's the case then theoretically tesla like you know we talked about you know how they could have sort of a, a support uh ecosystem three oh are we still there that was weird yep. like they both i'm still here i saw strange. the little bump okay. though yeah that was weird thank you Streamyard. um i i wonder if tesla will just become the uh standard provider of plugs in the long term if they become the standard but we'll see uh I, I'd is, be interested is, to see that. is that the play is uh, i mean is that the play with this whole ford thing is they're just going to own the whole system and now they do it with ford now they're going to go to gm now they're going to go to nissan now they're going to go to whoever then they're just going to own the charging system and now let them just i mean we still make teslas or whatever but or let them play around and fight with each other and it doesn't matter because we're going to get money off each one of them now Exactly. I, I think that's a long term play. It's for every electric. So now now Tesla has an incentive for every EV maker to do well, because for every EV on the road, they make money. And right. for every EV on the road, they'll charge at a place that are other that they see other Teslas, you know. Um, so I, I think you're right. I think that's a long term play. And it's I mean, like shareholders. They, they, yeah. yeah, they love the service, the, the services, the reoccurring thing. And now Tesla yeah. can have uh, it where you know what? You don't have to pay for every fill up. You just need to pay us a hundred dollars a month and you get access to this charging station every month. You got it. You got it. Yeah. They basically become their own uh, gas station chain. You know, it's like their own Exxon mobil plus right. they build the cars. It's, it's a fascinating play. Yeah. I think, I think you call it. I think that's that might be, their that, that might be it. That might be it. Elon's smarter than us. So he's got it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do uh, Let's do a few more. And uh, yeah. And what, percentage of inventory is actually financed versus bought by cash by dealerships great question do you have any data around this this i actually don't know i would i i think what they're talking it says financed i don't know if they're talking about uh consumers or dealerships because uh, what a lot of people don't know is that mm. used car dealers 
most of them don't actually own their vehicles or they don't pay cash for their vehicles. They, uh, they actually go into debt for these vehicles. They have something called a floor plan. So they borrow money to actually go to the auction to be able to buy these cars. Dealers are broke for the most part. I would guess at least 60% and that might be a low number of dealers that go. Uh Oh, Uh Oh, okay. Hold on. Uh, Hold on tight guys. Looks like we are having some connectivity issues. Give us a second. <laughs> are you still there, everybody? Let me check the comment section. Uh, Brandon will be back shortly, I hope. Uh, we'll see if uh, we can get him back. Looks like StreamYard is having some issues. Hold tight, please. I wish we had some like Jeopardy music or something. Uh, do, do confirm that you can see me. Uh, can you see me? Let me make sure producer wife can see me. Uh, <laughs> should I do like a dance or something while we wait for Brandon to come back? Let me send him the link again. Uh, copy. There he is. Oh, producer wife is back. Oh, I lost producer wife too. It's literally just me. That's strange. Sorry, guys. We'll get Brandon back here in a second. Okay, he's back. There we go. All right. All right. I don't, I don't know what happened there. I don't know what happened. But both you and the producer wife... Uh, disappeared. Looks like the uh, maybe it was Ford jumping on and being like, "Come on, guys, stop telling us all." <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, it might be uh, Ford. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you you were saying something very interesting that uh, the dealers are most of their cars are actually bought on uh, with loans. So keep going with that train of thought. If you don't yeah, like. so most dealers they actually don't have the available funding to pay cash to actually own their their inventory. So they what they do is they do something called a floor plan. It's just a credit line provided by a lending institution, a bank, whoever, to give these dealers money. So as these cars sit on dealers lots and this is why it's so important right now this is why i cover this a lot about the market getting slower as these cars sit on these dealerships lot they actually have to make payments to the bank they have interest payments that increase so if you have a market that's going down your dealer costs are actually going up as they're not selling cars and at some point those lines they cross and these dealers get underwater on these vehicles and believe it or not, these dealerships can actually have their cars repoed by banks. I know it's usually the dealer that's going and repoing a car from a customer, but banks can go and repo cars from dealerships and then they send them to auction and help them sell the cars and they just dump them for whatever they bring. And the dealership is then um, responsible for coming up with the difference. And on top of all of that nonsense that's going on, um, there's extra fees that these dealers have to pay. So this is... This is a big reason why dealers are so predatory when they're trying to sell you vehicles is because they might have one sitting on their lot that they have an interest payment coming up on and they need to get rid of it. So they're going to try to push you into this vehicle because they have to turn it. They have to get rid of this vehicle to get it off their books so they don't have to pay extra money on it in upcoming payment. Uh, so uh, so really, they're not losing their butt on it when they have this 90-day interest payment coming up. And a lot of these loans that these dealers are taking, a lot of these floor plans, they're very predatory too. There are very high interest rates. There are lots of high fees. They are short-term loans. They are 60-day loans. They are 90-day loans. And this is how a lot of dealerships get burnt. Um, and they're going to go under um, in this type of environment because as sales go down, their costs continuously go up. So if they paid way too much for a car, 
at some point they can't lower it but but so much because they owe that amount of money. So they if they lower it to what they owe on the vehicle and they still can't sell it, they can't lower it any any uh any further than that because if they do, they get into a red area where they're they're um they have to come up with a difference. And keep in mind they borrowed all this money so they don't have any cash to begin with. Dealers for the most part are broke. And if something bad happens to their dealership, if something happens where they can't sell cars, they will go under because they can't afford these vehicles to begin with. And they definitely can't afford the difference because they have no money. Wow. So what, I mean, gut feel, like what percentage of dealerships out there do you think are in this sort of precarious situation where they're you know, there's a legitimate chance they're going to have to close their doors. Who knows in the next few months, few weeks, like how, how big of a, how big of a deal is this? It depends how bad the market gets. So if we just continue on this downtrend, if we continue to have higher interest rates, if we continue to have just people not being able to buy cars the way that they're not buying cars right now, it's going to get real bad. So I would guess the percentage I said a little earlier, I don't know if I cut off before I said it, but I would guess probably 60% of car dealers okay. probably are on a floor plan. And I might be low on that number. That's my guess. Um, so if sales just stop, if, if sales get cut off, if we go into a massive recession or whatever, there's going to be tons of dealers that go under. It happened in 2008 and there were tons of dealers that, that went under. And um, it's going to happen fast whenever it happens. Uh, because these loans are so uh, short dated, they're 60 days, they're 90 days. So these dealers, whenever these uh, these banks see that these dealers start getting in trouble and they owe this money and the money that they owe starts uh, really ramping up, then they're going to go and snatch all of these cars and they're going to cut their credit lines. And if a dealer can't buy a vehicle because they have no credit, they might as well not be in business because the only way they can make money is by selling cars. And the only way they can sell a car is by having a car that they buy from an auction. So if they don't, if, if they're not able to buy any vehicles, they might as well close their doors. So I do think that's coming for a lot of dealers, especially the ones that are over leveraged right now. Um, and we'll, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I, I, uh, I'm not calling for some all out crash for used car dealers. Um, but I am the ones that are over leveraged and the ones that have not been wise with their money over the last few years. They're they're going they're 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 hurting they're heading for some hurt. Wow, yeah, that's that's going to be something I'm going to be tracking very closely here. I I do hope um, you know come the the next say like during the summer months we see a, a, an uptick in sales. Maybe hopefully we see an uptick in people being able to afford cars or we'll see prices come down so that folks are able to take advantage of, you know, they're able to purchase a vehicle. Um, otherwise, I mean, if, if 60% plus dealers of dealers have most of their inventory on floor plan and these are short dated loans, I mean, this sounds like a recipe for disaster if, if, if yep. sales don't pick up. If so, yeah, so and it, it can be. Yeah. And um, the way that you know that this is a recipe for disaster or that you know that it could be a big disaster, just look at the banks. They're pulling auto lending right now. A lot of banks are actually stepping out of the floor planning space. Um, I know the, the car dealership guy uh, has yeah. put up a couple updates where there are big banks that are pulling all of their credit lines for, for independent dealers. And that's... That's, I mean, these these banks, they're researching what's going on. They know what's about to happen. And for them to pull credit lines, 
they're saying bad news is about to happen. It's going down. Yeah, damn. Well, should we leave the uh, the the stream on a, on a positive note? Can you tell us about what you're going to be doing here in about 30 minutes? <laughs> yeah, so it's actually less than 30 minutes out. In 23 minutes, uh, me and my wife are going to be doing our, our own live, live stream. Come ask us some questions. Um, we, uh, we take as many questions as we can. And then after that, we'll be doing a, a members, uh, uh, live chat. So, uh, if you haven't joined our channel, just go to our main page and hit join and you'll be able to get into some of those, uh, member live chats, but we're also doing a public one and we're doing that at six o'clock. Um, so come join us, um, and ask us some questions. We'll answer as many as we can and as honestly as we can. So. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Brandon. Really appreciate you. Car questions answered. Wealth of knowledge. Go check out his live stream. Join his channel. Again, thank you so much, man. It, this was a, a very eye-opening discussion for me. I learned a lot. You're welcome back anytime, and I look forward to uh, to speaking to you again uh, soon, hopefully. Thank you so much, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. Yeah, you. thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Of course, man. All right, everybody. We'll see you in the next one. Thank you, Mods. Thank you, everybody in the comments for keeping the discussion respectful. Always appreciate you guys. And last but not least, producer wife. Great job, as always. Thank you so much. Appreciate your baby. Great job. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.